going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. As you've heard in the news, in a 3-2 decision, the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal found the federal Liberals' carbon tax is constitutional, contrary to arguments made by lawyers for the Saskatchewan government that it interferes in provincial jurisdictions. Now, this road isn't going to end anytime soon because you know this is going to the Supreme Court, but I wanted to get a little bit of a taste of what the pros and cons are to the provincial plan here in Alberta versus the federal carbon plan. Andrew Leach joining us from the University of Alberta. Andrew, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. You've been reading through this decision. I saw a tweet saying you were getting a little punchy. Uh, so I'm curious, what some of your main takeaways after reading through the majority of the report? I think, so first of all, it's a very close decision. It's a 3-2 decision, and, and you can see from reading through it the, where the disagreement comes in right at the, the fundamental questions. Is this is this a tax? Is this a levy? Is this exceeding provincial jurisdiction? Is it not? It's, it's um, you know, left for the constitutional scholars to, to say more about it, but uh, it really is a, an interesting decision to read, and lots of concepts we deal with in, in economics coming forward in a legal decision is not something you see every day. And that's one of the key takeaways I took away is that it's it's not a slam dunk for either side. And weirdly, both sides are treating it like it's this grand victory. Like, hey, there's a there's a shot we could either kill it or there's a shot that it's going to stay alive for the rest of time. Yeah, you know, I think I think any way you read this, you have to see it as a, as a victory for for the federal government in the sense that despite, I would argue, them not making their case incredibly well on on this or or really following a very consistent line uh the judges did find in the the majority in favor of of the federal government's ability to legislate in this area so i think it it has to count as victory on that side but you're right there's a lot there's a lot of doors left open by the decision as well you were a part of that provincial climate plan and you've looked at this issue long and hard. Do you think anything is wrong with the federal plan compared with, say, oh, I don't know, the Alberta plan, for example? Well, you know, I'm, I'm biased towards the, I guess, still existing Alberta plan, obviously. But one of the key elements of the federal plan is it was modeled off that that Alberta plan that, that we worked to design. And so I think there's a, the, the key elements for me were always treat all emissions the same. So get something as broad-based as as you can and don't let a car on the 401 in Toronto be treated differently from an emission from the oil sands in McMurray or don't let a a refinery in Montreal be treated differently from from a refinery in Edmonton. And so the federal plan gets both parts of those right. I worry that we're, of course, now going to move away from that uh, approach here in Alberta and lose some of our ability to push that that conversation nationally. Do you think it would have been more advantageous for the federal government to keep more of the money weirdly instead of issuing rebates in an effort to maybe support more green technologies? That was one of the takeaways I got from those who were actually against it in this decision. Yeah, so that's, you know, De- Lindsay Ted's down there in Calgary is the, the person to talk to on this, but but she, you know, the, the decision talks a lot about is this a tax or is it a regulatory charge? And mm-hmm. so the court and the majority found that this was in the federal power in part because, uh, it, or in the federal power under as a regulatory charge, that it didn't qualify as a tax, whereas the dissent goes into a lot of this argument of it's just a rebate to consumers. There's no tie-in for that 
to environmental action. Uh, but I think, you know, if you if you look at the people who are who are against the charge, I, I wonder how many of them, if there were a giant federal government, clean tech, renewable power, electric vehicle initiative funded by a, a carbon levy. I'm not sure there are too many people who are are, are currently opposed to the, the policy that are going to line up and be in large support of that type of a measure rather than just something which puts dollars in the hands of consumers to, to spend as they see fit and lets prices figure out how many emissions we have. Is this a, a battle that can be won by conservatives if they continue to push this uh, cash grab idea of what a carbon levy or carbon tax is? Oh, uh, you know, I think they've certainly made a lot of, of headway in that. I don't think there's any denying that the, those arguments have been very, very powerful. I think where conservatives come to their reckoning on this issue is is probably going to be where we saw the Harper government come to it, which is it's easy to say, I want to exempt certain classes of emissions. I want to stay away from homeowners. I want to stay away from buildings, et cetera. But eventually you run out of where where uh, places where you can reduce emissions and where the Harper government ended up at the end was, hmm, we're left with the oil sands to regulate. Mm-hmm. And now what do we do? And I think that's where you're seeing whether it's Andrew Scheer or Doug Ford's rhetoric around put the emphasis on the large emitters, and even Jason Kenney saying that today in the um, on Bay Street. Well, if you look at where the large emitters are in Canada, they're in Alberta. A lot of the, those large emitter emissions come from here. We have a larger share of our economy, uh, or a larger share of our emissions are from big industrial facilities than anywhere else in the country. And I think that's where if conservatives need to come up with a plan that takes aggressive action on climate change, and they're going to exempt a large share of the economy and go after, as Doug Ford calls them, the polluters, the big emitters, then that's going to come to look like something that any reasonable Alberta premier would rail against, attack disproportionately targets Alberta. And so maybe it'll be an opportunity for another Jason Kenney constitutional challenge. One final question for you. Have you looked through, Jason Kenney has said that his party has a plan in place and it's one that makes a lot of sense. Have you read through that, uh, through his plan and does it make sense? I have. You know, I, I think there deserves to be some credit there. So it's certainly a plan that's more stringent than what was in place in Alberta in May 2015. So from what we've seen so far. So it's it basically a, move back towards the regime that was put in place by Premier Stelmach, but with a higher carbon price and more challenging targets or minimum thresholds or, or however we want to frame it for, for industrial facilities. So there are some, some strong positives. I, I think my main critique with his plan is, is, or critiques would be twofold. One is that it exempts about 40% of the emissions in the province. So it makes it hard for us as Alberta to make the argument that as I said earlier, that a car in Quebec should be treated the same way as an oil sands emission because they have the same effect on the climate, they're not going to be treated the same under Jason Kenney's policy. Right. The second thing that I, that I think makes, uh, makes it a challenge is the way that his plan works, and I know this is down in the weeds a little bit, but basically it, ha- it shares in common with, the, with Premier Notley's plan and the federal plan that companies or large facilities will get some of their emissions for free and then we'll have to pay if they exceed that level. But the number of emissions that a facility gets for free under the Notley plan is the same for everybody in each uh, individual sector. Under Jason Kenney's plan, 
the number you get for free will be a function of how emissions intensive you were in the past. So if you've got two oil sands production facilities, for example, one that has historic emissions twice as high as the other, um, the higher emissions facility will get more free emissions under the Jason Kenney plan. So they get a larger effective subsidy on their output than the, than the facility that put in the best technology and is the best performer, et cetera. And that, to me, shifts the playing field towards or away from innovation and, and takes some of the value away from those new technologies. Mm-hmm. It'll be something that we're going to definitely keep an eye on throughout the, the course, because I know for a fact that this isn't going to be uh, going away anytime soon by any stretches. The Supreme Court's going to be uh, tasked, I'm sure, with this in the not-too-distant future. Andrew, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much for reaching out. A little bit of thought, too, is where we're going with this. Like I said, I think what's going to end up happening is Andrew Shears that bill number one is going to be repealing the federal carbon tax, or at least that's what he's going to be proposing heading into the federal election campaign. All right. One of the other topics of discussion throughout the course of the day has been this mass student walkout. And full disclosure, right off the top, I support the kids who walked out of schools today, just like I supported adults rallying with Canada action for Alberta's oil sands. We live in a free country. We live in a free world. And if people feel they need to have their voices heard, we should all be listening. They have some concerns and the students were not afraid to voice them earlier today. Uh, My parents, my dad doesn't know, but I'm going to guess that he's very supportive. I think she's still going to be supportive. She knows about the walkout, but I don't think she knew about the whole news thing. My parents are also supportive, but they did like make me think, what is this going to do? But I see now that we're, we're really trying to make a difference. Do you worry about getting in trouble or getting from school or your parents? Uh, no, I know that our school uh, is supportive of LGBTQ rights. I know my parents are supportive of it, so I'm not worried. Like, as long as I get to voice my opinion, I'm fine with any consequences. It's important for students to be able to feel like they can voice themselves. And with this many people here, I don't think it's an issue. I'm not afraid of doing the right thing. Now, what exactly are they voicing their displeasure about? They are concerned over what some of the rhetoric was surrounding gay-straight alliances and what might be coming down the road from the new UCP government. Now, to their credit, the brand-new education minister coming out with a statement today saying, the most important job I have as minister of education is to listen. I will have an open line of communication with everyone who has a role in our province's education system. One of my top priorities is to meet with students as well as parents, teachers, principals, trustees, and other stakeholders and work with them to strengthen our education system. Our government has been very clear. We do not support mandatory parental notification or outing of any student. We do strongly support efforts to make our schools in Alberta free from bullying by providing peer support, counseling, and safe spaces for all students in our province, especially those subject to bullying or prejudice because of their sexual identity. As minister, I do want to meet with passionate young Albertans to understand their concerns and clarify any misunderstandings about our position. I believe that we share the same values in wanting a strong, vibrant, and inclusive education system that protects students against discrimination and bullying. 
former Education Minister David Egan uh, speaking about this and was asked about how close this is to his heart. Well, it's, it's emotional to see uh, these kids here today. Clearly, they um, value the safe sanctuary of a, a GSA. And, you know, whole, whole schools uh, benefit to see that we are protecting kids. And then all students can see that, hey, it's a safe place to be. And you can move forward and uh, get a better education and uh, feel secure in that as well. So we made Bill 24 specifically because we saw where people were dragging their feet. Principals were not allowing G- GSAs or dragging, uh, you know, uh, not uh, getting the job done. We uh, saw all of the problems associated with that. We fixed it with the Bill 24. Uh, make sure that we keep it that way to make sure that kids are safe in schools. Do you see any middle ground between what you're proposing or what you had put into place and what the UCP wants to roll Well, the law is working. Uh, all public schools in Alberta, all Catholic schools in Alberta, all Francophone schools in Alberta, all charter schools and the vast majority of private schools put in very good safe and caring policy in compliance with Bill 24. And so, you know, there you go. Um, the schools were doing it. Uh, the teachers were supporting it. Parents were supporting it. And as you can see, kids value the protection that a GSA allows. So, you know, just keep the law as it is. You don't need to have uh, repeal all laws. That's not the idea. You're supposed to make safe and protected places for uh, Albertans in general. And uh, I, uh, I think we demand nothing less. When this whole thing came to fruition during the election campaign, I made no bones about it. I was really confused about why it was even an election issue and why there was even the thought of going back to the previous legislation, understanding again that it was some of the strongest legislation in this country when it comes to protecting gay straight alliances. But I just wondered why it was brought up in the first place. To David Egan's point is who's been complaining about it? Right? Like... Clearly, the vast, vast minority, because there wasn't, I I had heard zero in the way of complaints. So it was hard to figure that part out. The other part, I I challenge everybody who's been complaining about, oh, kids these days, they're running the schools and this, that, the other thing. Put yourself into the shoes of an LGBTQ student. And even beyond that, a student who feels like they might get outed and they don't feel safe. Because I think for the vast majority of parents who are really concerned about this, they already know if their kid is an LGBTQ plus student. Just think about it is all I'm asking. And I think that's what a lot of the kids are asking. And I really did appreciate the brand new education minister's uh, statement as well today because it said all the right things. Hey, let's have a conversation. That's what's most important here. Just like, and like I said, the the other part of it is, oh, kids these days, come on. They've been walking out of school since I was knee high to a grasshopper. And then some, before I was a twinkle in my father's eye. All is going to be well for this weekend. The hike for hospice is this Sunday. And Calgary Stampeders alumni Rob Cote joins us now on the program, a longtime advocate for Hike for Hospice. Rob, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Let's go back to the very beginning. And what got you involved with hospice? You know what? This is one of those uh, fortunate uh, crossing of paths where they they were looking for a representative from the team. And, and I was young, uh, just finished my first year. They wanted somebody local to the city. 
I put my hand up and had no idea what I was getting myself involved in. And, and we're looking at 12 years later, uh, I, I found an organization that I believe in wholeheartedly. They do amazing work in the community. And I will be a part of Hospice Calgary's family for as long as they'll have me. What was it that really turned the light on for you? So they offer a variety of services. They offer they, they offer the palliative care, which is the end-of-life care that a lot of people associate with hospices. Mm-hmm. But they also, also do uh, grief and counseling services, uh, specifically the part that attracted me into the long-term relationship is, is the counseling services they offer to children uh, who have just lost a loved one. Uh, they're experiencing you know, a pretty tragic time in their lives. And the counseling and the work that they do to help these kids understand what's happened, feel that they're not alone, and be able to grow into healthy and happy teenagers and and adults, it's just phenomenal to see. And it's, it's not easy work, but it is important work, and they do it with such vigor that I just am in awe every day. I was going to say, what has really taken you by surprise as you've gone through this journey with Hospice Calgary or things that have really opened your eyes to some of the things that are going on, I guess, behind the scenes? Uh, I I guess it is just their their level of care and commitment to helping people get through what may be, and for, for many in the end of their life, the toughest time of their lives and their families' lives. It's it's not it's not a fun and it's not easy uh, work to, for them to do, but they they do it with purpose and they do it with passion and it's their their commitment to that is is what's really blown me away. I, I know personally a few of my friends that have used their services, and all of them speak so highly of of their experience and just knowing that that is available to them and their children. Uh, so that they don't feel isolated. They don't feel like if you've lost a loved one, a parent, a sibling, it's very, very easy, and I would say common, to think that you're the only person going through that struggle, and they make sure that you don't feel that way, that you still, you know, that this is the feelings that you're having are normal, and, and this is how we can help you work through them. It's just, it's so impressive to see. And I mean, beyond that, it's it's an uncomfortable conversation to have as you're you're going through life. But at the same time, this is one of those organizations that allows you to have that conversation and allows you to uh, express the emotions that you should be going through at a very difficult time. Well said. Yeah, uncomfortable conversations, and, and especially if if you're trying to chat with somebody who who doesn't know what you're going through. It can be hard for them to understand your feelings and, and to relate. But when you're talking amongst a, a group of peers who are all going through a common struggle, then you can say, oh, wow, these, you know, I, I do see that this is something that I'm not alone in. And I can, I can say things that I can feel safe to say some things that I maybe otherwise wouldn't feel safe and, and get everything on the table and try to work 
work through those feelings and those those emotions in that tough time. Mm-hmm. And like you said, especially with kids, is that's an even tougher conversation because you know they're busy trying to learn how to tie their shoes and and you know learn their ABCs, and yet uh, sometimes they're thrown right into the fire in terms of uh, having to deal with. Uh, mourning and deal with the loss of a loved one. Just being able to have that staff there to have empathy for the kids and allow them to have a shoulder to cry on and for them to help uh, help them understand what is going on is so crucial and why Hike for Hospice is such a, a big deal this time of year. Exactly. Yeah, it's such a crucial and critical time in, in a human's development and and to have that trauma inflicted on them at such a time, it can really do do long term damage if it's not dealt with correctly. And that's where I'm seeing the the long term results and the benefits of of helping these kids at an early stage is so valuable. And of course, hike for hospice happening this weekend over at uh, Sokomi Lake, Fish Creek Park. Um, what does hike for hospice mean to you? Hike for hospice is one of my favorite days of the year. Uh, it, it used to mark the uh, the coming of the next football season. Now it is is just uh, another time to get together with so many people that I that I truly truly enjoy, mm-hmm. and it is such a fun event. It can seem like it's going to be a bit of a somber affair where people are people are often hiking in memory of a loved one that they have lost. And uh, I, I always want to be very upfront with everybody. It is so fun. It is such an uplifting day. Everybody comes in with a positive mindset, and, and we just go and have a great time raising funds, raising awareness for Hospice Calgary and the services that they, that they provide. You'll come out, you'll have fun, you go on a walk, it's not a hike, you go on a nice walk through the park, and you're going to leave inspired and uplifted about the work that you've done, the community that you live in, and uh, and the services that you know are available to yourself or your friends or your family whenever they may need it. I was going to ask, you kind of alluded to the idea of, you know, after the football career has been done, what does it, what does it mean to you to be able to continue some of these relationships even after uh, the pads and the cleats have been hung up? It, it means the world to me. I, I, when I was retiring, I, I reached out to hospice and I said, listen, I, uh, I would love to stay involved, but I totally get it. Uh, I, I, you know, the value of having an active player involved and, and so if it's time to move on, then that's that's fine, and thank you for everything. And they said wholeheartedly, we want you to still be a part. We want to keep working together. Uh, so they actually created a new role for myself and uh, Chelsea Savage, another one of the fantastic volunteers. We were the first two official Hospice Calgary ambassadors just out in the community. Uh, so I am still officially involved, and, and I... I yeah, I absolutely adore everybody within that organization. Phenomenal work, Rob. Keep it up and all the best with Hike for Hospice and everything else in life. Always great to catch up with you. Yeah, perfect. We hope to see everybody out Sunday, May 5th. The, the Stamps are there. The Outriders are there. Ralph the Dog. You know, you, you have lots of good people, lots of Calgarians out there to share a high five and a quick hike and, and leave feeling about your feeling good about yourself for your Sunday. 
Absolutely. Love uh, chatting with uh, people who have some social standing, some influence, who are continuing after their playing days are done, uh, doing great things in our community. And Rob is certainly one of those guys. If you know of an inspirational story, I mean, we had Akeem Haynes on a few weeks back and Man, just had that uplifting feel to that conversation. If you know the guys like that or gals like that, by all means, drop me a line, joe.mcfarland at coruscant.com. You can reach out on Twitter as well. Love to be able to tell some of those stories in the days and weeks ahead because especially for like Motivational Monday, like nothing gets you up, like feeling uh, empowered and that kind of thing. Uh, or as always, you can text us 403-974-8255 here on Calgary Today. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.